It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about Penny Bell, a successful businesswoman brutally stabbed to death in a public place. And although her last moments are alive, left an exhaustive trail of witnesses and clues. Thirty years on, her murder remains unsolved. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatisation of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 134, Penny Bell and the 30 Years Silence. Today, I'm standing at Gurnall Grove in Greenford, W13, Two miles northeast of the kidnap of the Chohan family, one and a half miles north of Alice Gross's grave, one mile west of where Muriel Edie met Reg Christie, and two miles west of the child rapist Bernie Cooper. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Situated north of Hanwell sits Gurnall Grove. Whereas once this comprised of a few small farmsteads full of fields for as far as the eye could see. As the city boomed, the high-rises shot up, greenery was replaced with grey. One of the last parks became a golf course, where ten tossers in garish checks hog a space fit for a few thousand families. And all that was left was an ugly eyesore, ensnared by the snarling A40. To offset this inequality, beside the Ryslip Road East sits the Gurnall Leisure Centre. Opened in 1981, but using a 1970s design of concrete steps, tubular iron railings and large glass panels, the Gurnall is a council-run leisure centre providing a swimming pool, 
a gym and a sports track for the local community. With many schools nearby, for four decades, the Gurnall was probably the epicentre for all outbreaks of verrucas, cold sores, athlete's foot and ruptured eardrums in Ealing. As kids let loose for a whole six minutes, are incapable of speaking in a pitch or volume which doesn't make your ears bleed. Currently, the Gurnall Leisure Centre is closed. But 30 years ago, it looked identical. It was a popular and busy hub of activity for locals. Surrounded by schools and homes, with handy bus links on the road outside and a concrete car park out front. That day, Penny's powder blue Jaguar XJS pulled onto the car park. It was broad daylight, the car park was busy, and it was the perfect place to get fit. But an unlikely spot for a very public murder. And yet it was here, on Thursday the 6th of June 1991, at 10.30am, that a trail of clues led to the last moments of Penny Bell's life. But after the culprit had fled, what followed was 30 years of silence. There was very little in Penny's past which would suggest she was about to be murdered. Ruth Penelope Bell, known as Penny, was born on the 28th of February 1948 in Burnham-on-Sea, a sweet little seaside town in Somerset. Little is reported about her upbringing, but being adopted, life was difficult. Sent to boarding school from the ages of 8 to 16, she was lonely, scared and sought stability. But whereas a troubled past may lead some people to a troubled future, for Penny, this missing piece of her life spurred her forward in a deep desire to achieve, to be liked and to be respected. Leaving home age 16, the mid-1960s were a difficult era for a young woman to succeed, even if she had the skills, drive and passion as Penny had. But what aided her the most was the warmth of her personality. Those who knew Penny described her with the same words. Charismatic, effervescent, bright, smart, funny and loving. A strong, highly organized woman who had time and love for everyone. Bursting with energy and compassion, Penny worked for the Samaritans in their charities concert division, giving hope to those who felt hopeless and inspiration to those who felt their future was defined by their past. In 1970, age 22, being possibly a little too young and a little too eager to find love, she married John Hayes in the Hampshire town of Gosport. Sadly, it was not to be, and they divorced a few years later. In 1980, her son Matthew was born, and being keen to give her boy the best start in life, although she was a full-time mum, she was also an entrepreneur. With ambition in her head and a toddler in her arms, she and her business partner Michael Flynn 
built a very successful catering employment agency called Coverstaff Limited. And as her business boomed, her love life blossomed. In April 1981, she married Alistair Bell. And not long afterwards, their daughter Lauren was born. Blessed with a strong relationship, which began as a solid friendship. As far as we know, the couple kept no secrets. He knew that she was adopted and divorced. And she knew that he was a bisexual who had lived with a man for the last 11 years. This openness made their past so accepted that Alistair's former partner was a guest at their wedding. During the early years of their marriage, the couple lived in a semi-detached house in West Harrow, with Alistair working as an estate agent. But as Penny's business grew, it made sense for Alistair to become a stay-at-home dad, aided by a nanny. Penny was the main breadwinner, which was unusual in the 1980s. But for the Bell family, it worked. In 1990, they moved into a £100,000 house in Baker's Wood, an exclusive little hamlet near the village of Denham in Buckinghamshire. And being a loop of five-bedroomed homes inside a secure gated community, with private drives, swimming pools and expansive gardens which overlook the country, it was a safe haven for the semi-wealthy. 43-year-old Penny had left her troubled past behind, having forged ahead with a bright future. She had been happily married for 10 years. She had two lovely children aged 9 and 11, and her business was a big success. She was happy, loved and respected. And yet, someone would hate her so much, they would risk everything to murder her. In the days leading up to her death, Penny's life was busy and stressful. Her business had expanded to a new office in Kilburn, and over the last seven months, their home in Baker's Wood was undergoing extensive renovations with as many as six contract firms and 20 builders on site at any time. As a successful businesswoman in the 1990s, Penny always had on her person two items. The latest model of Nokia flip phone, small enough to pop into her pocket, but only capable of making calls. And her Filofax, in which she meticulously detailed her every movement, thought, action or contact. On Monday the 3rd of June 1991, three days before her murder, Penny withdrew £8,500, £16,000 today, from the couple's joint bank account. This was not unusual, as she often withdrew large sums, and most purchases in the 90s were paid by cash or cheque. On Tuesday the 4th, two days before, both Vicky Bird the nanny and Lauren her daughter saw the £8,500. It was still in Penny's purse. On the surface, everything seemed normal. There were no nuisance calls, 
no suspicious packages, and no sinister visitors. Penny was stressed, but as a successful businesswoman, this was far from strange. On her last night alive, her husband, her children, the nanny, and even the builders would state that she looked lost, zoned out, and distant. Something was wrong, but she wouldn't say what. Thursday the 6th of June 1991 was a typical morning, as the Bell family went about their usual rituals before another ordinary day. As always, Penny was immaculately dressed, with perfect makeup, matching earrings, a stylish dress, and her short blonde hair elegantly coiffured. Her mood was described as bright and chirpy. At 8am, the builders arrived as arranged, and they remained on site. At 8.30am, Alistair left for work, and as it was on his route, he would drop off Matthew at school. The same thing would happen every day. Except that day, as Penny didn't wave him goodbye. But with so many builders requiring her time, he put down this little lapse to distraction. At 8.50am, an electrician asked for Penny's opinions on the lights. She was polite, but made it clear she had a meeting in an hour. At 9.10am, with a set of wooden blocks and a roll of floral wallpaper, Penny showed the builders the colour scheme for the new kitchen. As before, she was decisive but calm. At 9.40am, Penny left her home in her powder blue Jaguar XJS Series 2. A stylish 34,000 pound two-door hardtop with cream leather seats, a walnut dash, smooth elegant lines and a powerful V12 engine. It was a real head-turner, the kind you couldn't help but notice. On the downside, being more of a statement than a family runabout, the boot was tiny, the back seat was useless, the headroom was low, the rear window was barely a slit, and a large console between the passenger and driver's seats made it a little cramped, unless you were sitting down and facing forward. Taking a regular route, the A40 would have got her to her office just after 10am. But instead of driving 17 miles east to Kilburn, she drove three and a half miles southwest to an isolated wooded layby on Fulmer Common Road at the edge of Black Park. One witness, out walking her dog, spotted Penny's very recognisable car, park up next to a maroon Vauxhall Cavalier and pick up a man. He was described as late 40s, 5 foot 8 inches tall, with brown hair, a dark suit and a white shirt. He silently got in and the two drove away, leaving his car behind. Two hours later, his car was gone. Criminal profilers would later state that Penny Bell knew her murderer. But who was this man? What did they discuss? Why wasn't it in her diary? 
And why did they agree to meet in such a clandestine way? At 9.55am, the Jaguar drove east along the A40 Western Avenue in the rough direction of Kilburn. In an era before traffic cameras, there was no footage to verify this, but Penny's car was easily spotted by several drivers, with a blonde woman driving, a man beside her, and nothing drew their suspicion. At 10.25am, the Jaguar exited the A40 at the Greenford roundabout and turned right onto Greenford Road. A busy city street, packed full of shops, flats, cafes and people. But now, something was wrong. Drivers state that Penny's Jaguar had slowed to a painful crawl, doing half the legal limit on this 30 mile an hour road. With its hazard lights blinking and its windscreen wipers swiping ten to the dozen, as it weaved erratically, a tailback of exasperated drivers honked as it clipped the curb's corner on Shelley Road. Thinking she was just a bad driver in a fancy car, no one called the police and no one stopped to come to her aid. During this chaotic seven-minute drive from the Greenford roundabout to Gurnall Grove, one witness reported she looked like she was trying to park, but the passenger kept correcting her steering. Given by different witnesses, each description of this man was unnervingly similar. Late 40s, 5'8", brown curly hair, dark suit, white shirt, and a heavy gold link bracelet on his right wrist. At 10.30am, Having struggled to overtake the Jaguar as it weaved down the right slip road east, drawing a lot of attention and leaving a long queue of frustrated drivers behind, one witness stated that as the Jaguar turned left into the Gurnall Leisure Center, the woman looked at me and mouthed help. This witness didn't come forward until six months later, after the appeals and the reconstruction. But if their statement was true, again, they saw a lone woman in distress, but they didn't call the police, they didn't stop to help, and except for the killer, they were the last person to see Penny alive. Moments later, surrounded by roughly 40 cars, the Jaguar pulled into the quarter-full car park of the Gurnall Leisure Centre. Being parked nearest the swimming pool, the driver's side in the front was hidden by a five-foot-high hedge. The passenger side in the rear was visible, but obscured by the car's small angled windows, and any noise was muffled by insulation, traffic and children. It was busy, it was sunny, it was daylight, and it was public. This was a terrible place for a murder. And yet, within minutes, Penny Bell would be brutally slaughtered by someone who truly hated her. A police investigation later stated that there were as many as 40 witnesses in or near the car park at the time of the murder. 
but very few came forward, and those who did didn't see or hear the attack. At 10.30 a.m., a woman pushing a pram said, I noticed the wipers on and the hazard lights flashing. I thought it was very odd as it wasn't raining, but I didn't look in the car to see. I just kept walking. At 10.45 a.m., a second witness saw a smartly dressed man, identical to Penny's passenger, strolling across the car park at a casual pace. He wore dark trousers and a white shirt, but no jacket. If this was Penny's killer, the police said that he would have been heavily bloodstained. The witness also remarked that his face seemed disfigured in some way. Perhaps by a mole, a birthmark, or maybe it was blood. At roughly the same time, a third witness saw a car, possibly a dark Sierra, driving aggressively down the Ryslip Road east away from the Gurnall. He turned onto Cuckoo Avenue and vanished. At 11am, two further witnesses saw a woman slumped over the steering wheel of her car and assumed that she was asleep. At 12.15pm, once again passing by, they realised that she hadn't moved and they called the police. Penny Bell had been dead for 90 minutes. But by that point, her killer was long gone. Detective Superintendent Brian Edwards headed up the investigation. The car park was swiftly sealed off, witnesses were questioned, and forensics teams meticulously swept the crime scene. The motive wasn't robbery. As Penny's Jaguar XGS hadn't been stolen, her rings hadn't been removed, her purse, phone and filofax remained in her handbag behind the passenger seat, and the £8,500 was missing, but hadn't been seen for the last two days. The motive wasn't sexual, as Penny hadn't been violated and all of her clothes remained untouched. This also wasn't a random attack by a stranger, as Penny clearly had a level of trust with her attacker. He was someone she knew, maybe a business partner, a relative, a friend, or maybe a secret lover. Covering every possible angle, the police examined Penny's diary, phone records and credit card bills in an attempt to uncover a secret life but they found nothing. If she was being blackmailed, no one knows what for, who by, or why. The last possible sighting of the passenger was at 10.45am. He wasn't witnessed in any other vehicle, but by 12pm, his Vauxhall Cavalier at Black Park had vanished. That's an 11-mile journey which is more than possible to cover in that time frame by car or taxi, but it's impossible by public transport. Comprised by multiple witnesses, a photo fit of his face was released to the press. Five possible names were mentioned, 
and one man was arrested and questioned, but he was released without charge. If Penny's murder was premeditated, her killer's planning was clumsy at best, almost as if this was one of several options he had considered. As why would he wear a crisp white shirt if he was going to brutally stab her to death? Why didn't he murder her somewhere remote like Black Park, instead of a public place like the Gurnal? Why did he cover the central console and her lap with the unraveled roll of floral wallpaper instead of bringing something to hide her body and his crime? And why did he leave his fingerprints on the steering wheel, the window, the seatbelt and the door handles? The motive was clear. This wasn't a robbery. This was rage. Penny's murder was bloody, violent and frenzied. It was a crime of passion committed by a desperate man she knew intimately, who loved her to obsession, but hated her with a vengeance. As Lauren, her daughter would later state, I think it was someone who wanted her, but couldn't have her. Of the facts, this is what we know. The attack had occurred at roughly 10.30 a.m., a few minutes after her Jaguar was seen weaving along the Greenford Road and Ryslip Road East, and just a few moments after her car had parked up. The engine was off, the windows were closed, it was partially isolated, and the hazard lights were on. Their argument was a mystery, as not a single witness had heard a shout, a scream, a cry, or a honk of the horn. With Penny in the driver's seat, to her left, her killer pulled from his pocket possibly a workman-style lock knife with at least a three to four inch blade, and repeatedly plunged the cold steel into the left-hand side of Penny's chest, neck and face, in a frenzied and callous attack on a defenseless woman. Unarmed and unable to flee, Penny fought like hell, desperate to defend herself from his savage blows, as the blade tore into her raised hands and arms, which snapped every one of her long fingernails in a terrifying fight to stay alive. But still, the knife stabbed harder, deeper and quicker, as along the length of the left-hand side of her body, almost every organ, muscle, vein and artery had been severed. And yet, the killer's fury at Penny was far from finished. Being a right-handed man, in the left-handed seat of a cramped car, with a central console blocking his blows, as Penny's exhausted and bleeding body slumped over the steering wheel, he wound down her window, exited the car, walked around the back, and drenched in blood and clutching a dripping knife in a public space and in broad daylight. Through the driver's side window, he repeatedly stabbed the silent and lifeless woman in the back and side, until his energy and his anger were spent. 
inside. Her blood spattered across every surface, from the cream leather seats to the dark walnut dash, and pulled in the footwell below her. But from the outside, it looked like any other car. In total, Penny Bell was stabbed more than 50 times. That's one wound for every flash of her hazard lights. Penny's death didn't just end her life, it destroyed her entire family. That night, Alistair had to identify his wife's body and was so horrified that he vomited. Her funeral was held on Friday the 27th of September 1991 at St Mary's Church in Denham. Beside her grave, among a procession of grieving mourners, were the remnants of the Bell family. With Alistair an empty husk, and cradled in their father's arms, dressed in their school uniforms, were Lauren and Matthew. Unable to cope, Alistair sunk into a deep depression. He paid for a double grave so that when he dies, he can be buried with his wife. And as far as Lauren knows, Penny's clothes still hang in his wardrobe. And to add insult to injury, on Lauren's 10th birthday, burglars broke into their home at Baker's Wood and stole Penny's jewellery, leaving her children with very few keepsakes or reminders of their mother. 4,000 people were questioned and 8,000 interviews were conducted in a case which cost £1.5 million. There were numerous appeals a high-profile reconstruction on Crime Watch, and two rewards from the police, as well as Alistair and Penny's business partner. But with insufficient evidence to identify the culprit, the investigation stalled, and 30 years on, it remains a cold case. The murderer is still out there. He has never been caught. He has never confessed. And someone, somewhere, know something. If you were there that day, maybe you saw something which you didn't think was important. But that little detail could bring peace to a family in turmoil and end the 30-year silence of Penny Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. That was the last full episode of Murder Mile in this part of the season, as over the next three weeks, while I'm researching, I have prepared something fun to keep you entertained. If you enjoyed the episode, stay tuned after the break for some cake, a cuppa 
some waffle, and lots of extra details about this case. But before that, here's a little reminder about CrimeCon 2021. Hello, this is Mike, host of the world-famous Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast, and widely regarded as the greatest thing to have ever entered a person's ears since time began. And that's a fact. I'm deeply honoured to be part of Podcast Row at CrimeCon UK on the 25th and 26th of September 2021. If you love true crime, please check out my audio doings, cleverly entitled Murder Mile. And should you purchase a ticket and save yourself percent by using the promo code MILE, you can come and meet me, in person. Yes, I'm real. You can touch me, not too much, just a little, and not down there. That's rude. To do so, treat yourself to two days of murderously good fun at CrimeCon. See you there! A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are George Wilkins and Chantelle Gauthier. I thank you. And even Eva thanks you, which is a miracle, as she's usually a little too drunk at this time of the morning. If you'd love to receive loads of exclusive goodies, such as badges, stickers, mugs, photos, videos, and even extra podcasts, and support a small independent podcast, which brings a little joy to your life every week without fail, you can sign up to Patreon today for as little as $3 a month. Plus, I'd like to say a thank you to Lynn Domsala for your very kind donation via the supporter link. I thank you. And Eva also says... Which sounds like kebab and vodka shots, but probably means thank you. And as always, a big thank you to everyone who shares their love of Murder Mile on social media. Your continued audio appreciation of the podcast is very much appreciated. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Come on, come on. Not terrible. Not terrible. Not terrible. Hey, everyone. Extra mile time. I'm just getting rid of all my stuff. Uh, if you're new to the show, don't forget this is uh, the new. This is the unedited, unscripted bit. This is where I have a little bit of a wash, waffle. I said almost said wash then, and then we dive into some extra stuff about the case. Uh, I'm just going to open up some windows because it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a meaty day this morning. We've had a couple of days of shit weather, and now it. I woke up this morning and it's nice and sunny. So there we go. Windows open. Oh, cripes. Good thing about it being nice and sunny is it's nice and sunny and the sun's out and it's all lovely. Bad thing is uh, I'm not too far away from a sewage plant, which means all of the uh, all the flies are going to be out later on. Not that they're not already. Midges and mosquitoes are everywhere. Hence, my little boat is full of uh, lavender plants. Lavender plants and uh, I'm just I'm trying to buy some citronella seeds. Uh, unfortunately, you can't buy them in the UK because they were made illegal a couple of years ago. Because I think, some, I think someone's dog ate them and died. So therefore, we're we're all not allowed to have citronella, which is a real shame. But because citronella really does get rid of uh, some of the horrible insects. But there we go, there we go. Um, uh, haven't really got a cake today. What I have, and it's just gone missing, is da -da 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 -da. Uh, unfortunately the bakery was shut by the time I got there, which was annoying. I'm going to try and get there today, oh, but I've, what I've bought is some Mrs. Crimble's big chocolate macaroons. Oh, macaroons, I think I've had them before, and as mentioned, they're uh, majority coconut, uh, and they're all kind of coconutty, uh, gloopy biscuit, very nice with chocolate on the bottom. Oh, God, they're good. Uh, the only problem is, per macaroon, 168 calories, and there's five in here. Fuck it, they're going to go. Right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to dive through some stuff because there's lots of details to cover on this case and I think it's worthwhile covering them all. Uh, what else we got? Yeah, I've, I've written some notes to myself. I moved to a lovely area, nice area, uh, which is all very nice. I'm next to uh, a nature reserve, which is good. Lots of lovely walks around here. But one problem I realised is there's two big fields next to me. Uh, and two big lakes next to me and I thought oh brilliant I have a walk around there no you can't do that because the two big fields are golf courses even though they're next door to each other and the two big lakes have been blocked off for fishermen which I think is absolutely disgusting you've got a handful of people let's be honest a handful of men blocking off miles of countryside which should be for people and families I think it's absolutely disgusting and why do they, why can they get away with that because the people on the council, the, the councillors are probably golfers and are probably fishermen as well. I'm not saying that people shouldn't play golf and they shouldn't be fishermen. I just think things should be open for people, not just reserved for the few. Anyway, that's a little rant out of the way. Uh, I'm working on uh, three meander miles uh, for the next three weeks while I'm away doing the research. Um, I can't believe it. I haven't done these roads before. I'm doing Wardour Street, Dean Street and Frith Street. 
These are two parallel roads that go right through the heart of Soho that we visited many times before, uh, and they they uh, all kind of cut through Old Compton Street. Uh, there's loads of things that I can cover on that, and and things that we've never covered before on these cases and new cases that will be coming soon to murder murder miles. That's exciting. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, I'm off to see my dad and my. St- this is why I'm in a rush to get things done. Uh, I'm, I'm powering through this week. Long, not rushing stuff, but long hours, very long, like 16-hour days to get stuff done. I'm working flat out to get the meander miles done. So I'll go to my dad and my stepmom. So a lady has stood outside my boat, and she seems to be staring in. That's not creepy at all. And now she's on her phone. Weird woman. I'm gonna hang on. I'll do my tea. Uh, there we go. I say tea. I meant coffee. Oh, hang on. That's not full. Uh, yes, I'm going to see my dad and my stepmom, which is great. Uh, all is good. They've had their jabs because they're old people. Uh, I've had an A jab and I've just stocked up on some lateral flow tests uh, and some PCR tests as well. Uh, if you're in the UK, don't forget you can go to the NHS website. Just type in lateral flow test NHS and you can get them for free. You don't need to pay for them. You don't need to... Um, you don't need to pay for packaging or delivery. You can do you can do every week and they'll just keep sending them to you. And the great thing is the lateral flow test, you can test them and it will tell you. These are the ones that if you don't think you have symptoms, but you just want to check to see you know, if you're okay, uh, you can do that. It'll give you results straight away. And then you've got the PCR test for if uh, you think you have symptoms. But this is great. So I'll be doing that uh, before all murder miles. But also uh, while I'm traveling around the country, which let's be honest, now that the regulations are kind of lifting, we should all be doing this. We should all be doing weekly lateral flow tests just to double check. Do you know, if you're going to visit other people, the very least you should do is kind of walk in there and go, hey, guys, just to let you know, I'm safe. Do you know, so I'm not going to pass on any virus to you. I think it's it's slightly inconsiderate that people will be traveling around the country, seeing all their friends and family going, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to talk all over you. I'm going to breathe all over you and potentially pass on the virus, which is where we're going wrong at the moment. And if because if we don't do this properly, Christmas time, we're going to be back in lockdown. Unfortunately, I predict that already. November, we will be back in tier four. December, January, we'll be back in another lockdown. Even though we've all got um, our vaccinations by then, that doesn't stop the virus. It just lessens the the symptoms that we're going to get. It doesn't stop the virus. The virus can't be stopped at the moment because we don't have a cure for it. So there we go. (sighs) Right, let's do the quiz and then we'll dive into some details. Right, ladies and gentlemen, strap in. Uh, Question number one. What was Penny? Oh, sorry. Penny was her middle name, but what was her first name, i.e. her Christian name, as people call it? What was her first name? Question two. What colour was Penny's car? Easy one, because I said that a couple of times. Question three. What street did Penny live on? Question four. What was the name of Penny's company? Question five. How much money did Penny withdraw from the bank? Question six. Penny and Alistair had been married for how long? Question seven. Where was Penny born? I'll allow town or county on that one. Question eight. What was Penny having renovated in her home that day? Question nine, 
The nearest car to Penny's Jaguar in the car park was what? And this is a really hard one. The man driving aggressively in the dark Sierra fled up what road? That's a bloody hard one. Oh, here, go, here goes the uh, the little. Uh, it's a little. It's a little uh, work boat that pushes all the the big. Uh, oh, bigger work boats along. Oh, and he all he does is go back and forth all day, and he has nothing, nothing in that kind of work boat. There's nothing in there. He just looks like he's bored. Anyway, right. Let's dive into some details. Uh, so. Oh, there's things I can't tell you about Penny because they're in they're in the quiz very shortly. Um, very little has changed. Uh, um, I, I I was trying to look into her history. I think I think Penny's birth name or her adopted name uh, may have been her surname may have been Northwood Batham, but I can't I can't clarify that. There's a lot of details about her early life that are kind of missing. Uh, and obviously the police file isn't available. That wouldn't. That's not going to be available for at least another fifty to seventy years, because I think it's three generations of family have to pass before it can be released. Um, as mentioned, she was married in uh, nineteen seventy to uh, John Hayes. Um, the, around the time of the murder, they contacted John Hayes. He apparently he hadn't been in contact with her for years. So you know, uh, he's pretty much eliminated as a as a uh, suspect in the case. Uh, uh, Alistair, as mentioned, Alistair was bisexual. He'd been in a gay relationship for about 11 years previously. Uh, there was no kind of tawdry affair between Alistair and his former partner. Uh, apparently, a Penny got on well with his former partner as well and, as mentioned, was invited to their wedding as well. So there's no kind of uh, dark history on this angle. I'm tra- by going through all these details, I'm just trying to wheedle out all the questions that people may ask. Uh, as for the wallpaper and the wooden blocks that were found in Penny's car, uh, she received them on the 24th of April 1991, so about about 10 weeks earlier. These were samples of wood for the cabinets. Um, uh, almost gave away one of the questions. And this is going to happen when I go through these. I'm probably going to balls up a couple of questions, but I'm not going to edit them out because... Uh, no point um just accept it i will make mistakes um these wooden blocks obviously they were found in the car but the envelope they came with uh was never found so it's unsure exactly where they came from uh, one week prior penny had contacted a local carpenter rever- regarding her house renovations uh and at the time of the investigation police were trying to track him down it was uncertain whether they did uh but don't forget she had a lot of different contractors on site uh, so this was not unusual. Uh, 3rd of June 1991, Penny withdrew the money from the bank account. Uh, th- this was from hers and Alistair's joint bank account. Uh, so because she didn't withdraw the money from her business account, that would suggest that this was a personal item as opposed to a business one. If she would have taken out money from the business account for a personal thing, that's that's illegal. She's not allowed to do that. So, uh, so this is clearly a personal thing. Uh... Uh, everything seemed to be fine with her, her business practice at the moment. It was doing well. Her and her partner, uh, uh, Michael Flynn, seemed to be uh, uh, working well together. The business was growing nice, nicely. They, you know, they didn't have any rivals. They didn't seem to have any uh, issues at the time. Everything was going good. To be honest, the business is still there today. It's uh, uh, over in West Acton, uh, and it's still doing well. So all, all these years later, it's still still a successful business. So it just shows you know, how successful it was back then. Um, this meeting in uh, High in Hyde Park uh, on the corner of Fulmer Common Road in Black Park 
This is the one that's three and a half miles southwest of her home. It's not too far from Pinewood Studios. Uh, this is a weird one. It's a very unusual place to meet up. It's very remote. There's no houses there. There's no shops. There's nothing. It's it's the co- corner of a huge park, like absolutely massive. And it's very remote. She, uh, they, they found a lay-by there. They met up, and that's where, where he, uh, the passenger, got into Penny's car. Um, the witness at the time, uh, she came forward on the 17th of September. So this is a couple of months later. This was after the second appeal. But the reason why the police believe this is um, this lady hadn't seen the first appeal. She, she hadn't really tweaked, and it was only when they started mentioning about the powder blue... Um, uh, the See, there's one of the questions gone. Okay, they, you've got it. Penny had a powder blue uh, Jaguar. But then again... You, we all knew that anyway, didn't we? We all knew that. That's an easy question. I threw that in there as an easy question, and therefore I ballsed up. Right, that's fine. That's done. That's given. You've got an extra point there. Just pat yourself on the head. Um, um, by that point, the police had already mentioned about her powder blue Jaguar XGS Series 2. Um, this lady, who was a d- detective's wife, um, she put those pieces together, and that's why she came a bit, little bit later. They interviewed her, and you know, her so- story was consistent. Um, the as mentioned, she was driving erratically along the uh, A41, A4127, uh, which is the Greenford Road, and the Shelley Road, which is there's loads of kind of flats overlooking it. It's just past the Shell Garage. That's where the car was weaving and it was bumping all over the road. Um, a gentleman called Chris Lamport, who was driving a white Bedford van, who was immediately behind them. He was kind of stuck behind them. Uh, he said he remembers seeing a blonde woman in a blue Jaguar driving very slowly a lot south along Greenford Road. The hazard lights were on, the, the, the windscreen wipers were going 10 to the dozen. Uh, as mentioned, it was a clear day, so there's no reason for the uh, windscreen wipers to be on. He said uh, she looked like she was trying to park the car, but the gentleman kept correcting her steering and making her carry on down the road. I presumed it was a new car for her, uh, so she was learning how to cope with it. After a while, it seemed safe for me to overtake, so I overtook. I saw the gentleman with his hand on the steering wheel, and he was wearing a gold chain on his wrist. This is uh, uh, an image that everyone matches, uh, that everyone says this is identical. Uh, The car veered onto the curb at the junction of Shelley Road. Um, That was barely a couple of minutes up uh, the Greenford Road. Uh, some people in the descriptions also say that the man possibly had a beard um don't forget she's uh they're inside a jaguar which is an incredibly small car it's a very low car it's got a low roof it's low down um it's a it's a bright sunny day so conceivably that could easily be a shadow you know don't forget he's sitting in the passenger seat they're overtaking her on the driver's side so he would be less visible um, the blade, the knife itself was never found. Um, autopsy said that it was either a three to four inch blade. Um, so if you think about that, that's it's most likely to be kind of a switch blade, a flick knife, a maybe a sheath knife. It could be, but if it's a three to four inch blade and it's a sheath knife, that would mean that the handle would be at least three to four inches as well, which makes it six to eight inches, which is a little bit too cumbersome to carry, especially if you're wearing a suit. What's more likely is if it's a pocket knife or a lock knife, therefore it folds in, therefore that would only be three or four inches. You could put that in your pocket. It would look like keys. It would look like uh, it would look like a wallet. It, you know, you could easily hide it in a suit. It doesn't make sense for him to be carrying a kitchen knife. 
Uh, also, the kind of lock knife that there is is the kind of thing that builders would have, or workmen. Um, now, we're going to get into that very shortly. Uh, as you probably would have guessed, Alistair was instantly questioned by the police. He would instantly, not because of anything he'd done, but because he's the husband and, you know, from insurance purposes, he would benefit the most. Uh, he would be their number one su- uh, uh, suspect first. Uh, but when they looked into his history, there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. He had an alibi for the day. Their relationship was pretty strong. So, uh, yeah, no reason to. And and if you look at him now, he's, he's still, the poor man is still absolutely broken today. Uh, <coughs> the inquest was held at Fulham Coroner's Court, uh, where Dr. John Burton stated it was an unlawful killing. Good. Uh, as it rightfully should be. Uh, photo fit was released. So... These are all kind of the different witness statements. Am I going too fast for you? Probably. You probably look good. I, I know some people listen to this at like put, uh, like times two speed or something, but really don't. When you, when you get to this bit, I would rather I'd rather people listen to the the episodes at normal speed anyway, because I do work hard to make it sound nice. Don't rush it. Enjoy it. But this bit, you may need to slow down. Right. Uh, so these are all the, the witness statements from different people. Uh, one witness said the man in the car was around f- around 40, dark hair, bearded, wearing a dark blazer and a blaze- bracelet on his right wrist. He might have had a beard. Uh, another witness who was in the same car park who was walking towards him, she was the lady, she said if, uh, he seemed to have a deformed face in some way. Uh, another person actually said maybe he had a mole on his cheek, but as mentioned in the episode, this also could have been blood. If he'd... St- He's brutally stabbed Penny at least 50 times. Police said he would have been covered in blood. Now, the likelihood is, if he was seen walking away and he was wearing a dark suit and a shirt, likelihood is he would have taken off his jacket if that was covered in blood. Uh, maybe his, maybe that, maybe the blood didn't get through to his white shirt. We don't know. Or maybe that guy who was walking away wasn't the passenger. We don't know. That's the problem. Um, all the details seem to come in. A lot of people seem to say he's kind of like late 40s, like 48-ish. But everyone agrees he's kind of about five foot eight, medium build, light shirt, dark trousers. Um, the guy who said help, who said that Penny saw him, uh, looked at him and mouthed the words help me as she was turning into Gurnall car park. He said the passenger was uh, 30 to 35, medium build, dark, curly hair, had a mole in his left cheek, which I think is interesting because he would have passed the driver's side. And the uh, the passenger's mole would have been on the left, which would be the entirely the opposite side. So I'm unsure how he would have seen that, especially from if you a passenger that would be seven feet away. I, 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 this is why I doubt that statement. That statement came forward six six weeks later after all the reconstructions. So unfortunately, with a lot of cases, I'm not saying this person is, but with a lot of cases, you get a lot of people who call in. They go, oh, I know all these details, things like that. And what they want is to draw attention to themselves because they're sad and lonely. Unfortunately, look, getting, looking in all these police files, I get, there's a lot of this that happens. People are either trying to get people who they don't like into trouble by saying well i think they're the murderer or they just want attention and they've learned a couple of details and then they go they go well this is probably it so his his descriptions pretty much the same as everyone else's it could be true might not be um uh, a lot of people agree he was wearing a dark oh no it's not covid Uh, (coughs) oh it's because the light's streaming in through the window and i'm one of those 10 percent who have that thing it's it, apparently it's genetic that um 
was it your your sneeze receptor and your light receptor is a little bit too close together and when the light streams in it tells your brain sneeze uh, it happens all the time uh right uh yes everyone seems to agree that he's got a kind of a gold linked bracelet on his right hand and many people say he has a, a big gold ring on his right finger um uh and this uh, description is 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 identical to the one that the lady at black pond says uh regarding his car um 20th of june uh 1991 so this is literally like a couple of weeks later uh a a reconstruction was done on bbc one's program crime watch good series if uh bring, they should really bring it back um uh, wpc christine ashby she portrayed penny in that reconstruction uh she got into penny's actual jaguar jaguar and drove it from uh uh, Denim in Buckinghamshire to the Gurnall uh, uh, swimming pool, as it was called back then in 1991, uh, to try and dra- drag, jag, jag, drag, jog. That's the word I was looking for. Jog people's memories. Uh, only four people, unfortunately, came forward in that reconstruction with information. Right. Possible suspects. Strap in. Uh, now, as mentioned at the start, uh, Alistair, her husband, was considered a suspect at the start. They, police have to suspect him as a suspect. If they didn't, they wouldn't be doing their job. Um, as he in, uh, as he would inherit the bulk of his wife's estate, uh, as well as a £200,000 life insurance payout. Uh, however, there was nothing to link him to the murder. Uh, and as mentioned before, you've looked look at the state of him. He's an absolute mess. It, you know, thirty years on, he's still in depression. He doesn't talk to doesn't talk to his kids anymore. You know, it's you know he's pretty much uh, very much reclusive. So you know, the man is broken. Um, uh, as mentioned, she used to work for the Samaritans up until uh, 1982 when she started her company. Police has explored the idea that maybe um, uh, her killer was someone who she counselled. They went through the records. It wasn't anyone there. Uh, everything seemed to be going well with, her, as mentioned, with her business partner Michael Flynn. He had an alibi for the time he was at the Kilburn office that day. Do you know everything was going well between the two of them? Do you know there was no rivalry at all? Um, as mentioned, this wasn't a stranger attack. They know that Penny had let a person into her car. She'd welcomed them. She'd met them at the lay-by. They, the police, are almost certain that this is the man that. Uh, Penny met at Black Pond and drove along the road with her is the same person who murdered her. Um, as for all the builders who were on site, all of them were checked. All of them had alibis. There were no debts. Penny didn't actually owe any money to the builders. They all respected her. They all said that, you know, she was quite forthright, but that's what you want with a client when you're a builder. Um, so, and they all respected her. You know, she's quite meticulous, so they're like that. Um, some people may have said that potentially she was killed by a hitman. Uh, police have entirely ruled this out. If you think about it, it doesn't make sense that this would be a hitman. A hitman, if they were going to kill her, would turn up quickly, out of the blue, wouldn't be someone that they know. They would want to kill her quickly and efficiently with as little blood as possible. But when you look at this, this is a frenzied attack. This is personal. This is someone who absolutely hates her. If you were, if you were a hitman, if you had a, a knife or a gun, you'd stab her in the heart, slit her throat, run. You'd get out of there quickly. You wouldn't waste the time to stab her 20, 30 times in the car, then get out of the car, go around to the other side, go through the window, and then stab her again. Like, more than 50 times. That doesn't make sense at all. Um... 
so this this is going to be a difficult bit. This is based on uh, things that are found online. So I won't say whether uh, I'm just going to go through the facts here. I'm not saying that this person is the murderer. I'm just saying this is a key suspect. So John Richmond. John Richmond was a former builder. Um, uh, Lauren stated this is from the newspaper. So I'm OK to th- say this. Lauren stated this is John Rich- Richmond. He came forward three years after Penny's death, claiming to know who killed her. He wanted £80,000 for hi- his confession. He would not speak to the police or a journalist. This came from uh, uh, Lauren's Instagram account. Uh, John Richmond, 41 years old, father, former neighbour of Pen- and friend of Penny and Alistair. When they lived at Whitmore Road in West Harrow, was mentioned at the start. Uh, John moved from Hemel Hempstead to Pinner in 1991. Um, Wednesday the 20th of May 1992, so this is almost a year later, John Richmond reported to the police. He was not charged and uh, was on police bail. He was asked to report to an undisclosed police station and he has been questioned twice. So this is the man that I mentioned at the start that the police arrested and questioned but released. Thursday the 21st of May, the next day, uh, I'm taking this from the newspapers. This is kind of verbatim. Uh, At this date, he has not been charged and was released on police bail. Detectives refused to confirm whether John Richmond had been cautioned twice. He had. Uh, Detective Superintendent Brian Edwards said, the fact that we have made an arrest does not mean we are not looking for public assistance. This case is far from closed. According to the Guardian newspaper... The police were convinced Mrs. Bell knew her killer. A builder who was a family friend was arrested and his fingerprints were found in the Jaguar, but he was released without charge. It doesn't say why he was released without charge. Obviously, this is still an ongoing investigation. Do you know, we can't... can't we can make, uh, you know, assumptions at the moment, but that would be wrong. Uh, BBC said, in 1992, a man named John Richmond, who had moved in similar social circles as the family, sold a story to the Sun newspaper saying he had been with Penny Bell in the morning of her death. Police at the time arrested Mr Richmond, who was released without charge. Uh, Detective Chief Chief Superintendent Dave Little, who's now taken over the case, he's in charge of the cold cases, said John Richmond was arrested and spoken to initially, but no evidence was found to incriminate him. Uh... Uh, I would appeal to anyone who uh, may not have come forward through whatever allegiances. Uh, this was this was actually uh, about a year ago that he made this statement uh, that they had at the time, who may have since had a change of heart. However, he described he was described by the police is entirely in the clear. Uh, he was arrested and questioned twice. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, no. Okay, so uh, John Richmond uh, of Pinner uh, was previously arrested and released on bail. A family friend. Uh, who claimed he was having an affair with Miss Bell and met her on the morning that she died, was arrested but released without charge. So that's what is believed is going on here, that he may have been having an an affair with uh, Penny Bell. But I'm going to be honest, if, if you look at Penny Bell, she's a very attractive woman and very successful, and you look at John Richmond, I'm sorry, not. I know... I. And, you know, she's successful. He doesn't seem that successful. To me, it doesn't make sense. If if I'm speculating here entirely, maybe maybe he was suggesting to her that he'd got it in his head that they were in a relationship and they were having an affair. And she was like, no, we're just friends. And, you know, maybe or maybe they had a, a kiss or something like that. And then he went, right, I'm going to tell your husband. 
Do you know, maybe that's it. Maybe that's where the blackmail comes from. I don't know. We, will we ever know? We don't know. Um, here's a query that I have. Uh, over okay. If it was John Richmond meeting Penny at Black Park, um, uh, at that time he lived in Marsh Road in Pinner. Oh, this is all in the newspaper, so this isn't me doing some investigative work and going. Ugh. Oh no, the, this bit is. But where he lived is all in the newspaper, so I'm not. I'm not releasing any details that aren't already public information. Uh, at the time, he lived in Marsh Road in Pinner. So that begs the question: Why would he travel nine and a half miles west to meet Penny in Black Park, uh, which is three miles southwest of her home? It, it's a really remote spot only to drive 11 miles east to Gurnall Leisure Centre, which is its just over six miles south of his own home. So basically he travelled 20 miles instead of, instead of seven. Why? It doesn't make sense. Why travel all the way west to go all the way southeast when he could have just gone, he could have just said, let's, let's meet at Gurnall Leisure Centre. Doesn't make I, That meeting at Gurnall Leisure Centre does not make sense. It does not make sense as a location at all. Why meet there? And if if that was his plan, why meet in such an open place? And how did he get, if if this isn't even him, how did he get from Gurnall back to Black Pond if he is the man at Black Pond to get his car? Because when you look, at the, you, you look at the details, it's like you can drive it in about 15 to 20 minutes. But it's it's so remote that if you were to cop on public transport, that would be a pain in the ass. Maybe he got a taxi. We don't know. They couldn't find a taxi driver, so they can't confirm this. Um, as mentioned, uh, uh, 4,000 people were questioned. Uh, 8,000 interviews co- were conducted. 2,500 written statements were done. But there was no firm DNA link established between any of the suspects. Don't forget, this is 1991. So DNA, they'd, they'd taken samples, but... Uh, DNA hadn't really come forward. Um, this year, they were doing a, re- a review of the DNA samples. That was the information on that was meant to come through kind of April time, but it, it hasn't been released yet, so we don't know exactly what has been said. Uh, as mentioned, it was a one and a half million pound investigation. Um, there was a twenty thousand pound reward on behalf of the police, and uh, another twenty thousand pound report reward on behalf of Alistair and Penny Bell's business partner Michael Flynn uh, for evidence leading to a conviction but nothing has come forward Um, and therefore this is an ongoing investigation Um, just a couple of things that I was kind of thinking about having a slurp of my coffee oh it's almost cold again um the positioning of the car in the car park i mean not only is the, not only is it a terrible place to murder someone because it's a public car park and as mentioned there was at least 40 people in the car park in and around the time of the murder there was at least 40 cars uh, i did my maths i checked the car park it's got about space for 120 uh, cars and of three coaches so that means it was one quarter full if you read some of the bullshit in the newspapers or or someone's someone's filled in some stuff on uh wikipedia most of which is wrong uh you've just got to do your research properly um uh it was only a quarter full but that's still pretty full uh don't forget there would have been lots of kids going back mums parents people like that so yeah it's a really stupid place to go but the car was parked slightly isolated by the big bushes but it's the nearest to the entrance whereas if you look at the car park if the car would have been parked instead of instead of southeast they would have parked it northwest the entirely opposite end 
it's actually more remote. No one would have seen them there. There was no cars there. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Also, the area is surrounded by fields, hills, industrial estates, back roads, uh, dead ends, cul-de-sacs. It doesn't make any sense. Why drive from somewhere so secluded like Black Park to drive somewhere as busy as the Gurnall Leisure Centre? Doesn't make any sense at all. It's in, it's entirely wrong. Uh, some people say that there was a, a soundproofing theory saying that um, no one could hear actually any screams from inside the car. It's true. When you look at the car, the car has really poor visibility. It's low down. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a short squat car. The back window is tiny. It has tiny back side windows. Uh, the front windows are all angled because it's designed to be kind of a fast moving car. Um, the hedges around it hadn't been trimmed, so they were more than five uh, feet high and really overgrown. Um, uh, don't forget, this is uh, passing kind of a very busy road. This is Ryslip Road East. Uh, so there's a lot of cars going past at that point. Uh, people going into the leisure centre, that, that would have uh, uh, ruined some of the sound. I did a little bit of investigation because my brain was... One of the things I couldn't work out was uh, Penny was driving along the road and the windows were up. Uh, and we know the windows are up because no, well, no one heard any screams. No one heard any screams, no one heard any cries, no one heard anything going on. So the windows were up. But at some point... Um, the the murderer, whoever he was, went round the back of the car to the front, opened up the driver's side door. Well, actually, no. Uh, reached in through the window, which means would have had to uh, roll down the window, which was electric. And this was what I was looking into. I was trying to work out whether the XJS Series 2, uh, whether... Because I remember these in the 90s that my my dad's car, it wasn't a Jaguar, but, it, you know, it had electric windows. In the 90s, you had to have the engine on... Or you had to have the key in and up in in the on position in order to wind down the electric windows. You could do the horn, you could switch on the lights, but you couldn't wind down the windows because the motors were too powerful that they'd drain the battery. So you needed a little bit of uh, engine running. And I was trying to see whether the, whether the Jaguar, whether you needed the engine on or in position to wind down the windows or whether he could just reach over or whether they were manual windows. Uh, by the look of it, they appear to be electric. So I was trying to work out... Did he, was he able to lean over and wind? It just seems weird that he would wind down the window and stab her through the window, whereas you just open the door. You open the door and then you stab her, and then you got full access to the to to the whole console of the car and her. Why wind down the window and then reach in to make it even more awkward for yourself? I'm sorry, it's li- I, I know I know it's a crime of passion and people don't concentrate and people just just react, but that just doesn't make sense. Why why? lean across and wind down the window why not just open the door um oh yeah um i think that's it i think that's all all i've got yeah yeah it it seems very badly organized why wasn't the man carrying a bag with him if he knew that he was going to murder her if that was one of his options hence he was carrying a knife why didn't he carry a bag with a uh, with some clothes to change into? Because obviously he's going to be murdered. So clearly he uh, clearly this is something that he this wasn't a premeditated, uh, not fully premeditated. I don't think it doesn't seem as if he got into the car to murder her. It looks as if he'd got in the car. He's wearing a business suit, so he's trying to look presentable. He's trying to look smart, maybe to look attractive. We don't know if there was a relationship going on. Everything seems to have gone okay en route. Then it goes a little bit weird. 
but he's not carrying anything with him to help him in terms of a murder. If he'd pre-planned, you know, he would have had something to hide the body. He would have taken the car somewhere remote. Why? Why go to the Gurnall? Was this just? Was this just a place? Because the car was weaving along the road. Was this just a place where it was like right? sod it just pull in here we're going to talk they had a talk the car stopped they had an argument he went for whatever he had if he was a workman or a builder or whatever he had got a lock knife in his pocket and he he just reacted at that point point that seems more logical it doesn't seem logical that it would be a, a premeditated thing this this sounds like something that's in the back of his mind that's either like either she's going to tell me that she loves me and she wants to be with me forever or i'm going to blackmail her or i'm going to kill her because let's not forget, some people are fucking idiots when it comes to, to love. They're like, oh, this is the only person in the world that loves me. Fucking idiot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's eight billion people in the world. And yet someone goes, oh, this is the only person who loves me. Oh, it's 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 we're meant for, for each other forever. Oh. Obviously, that's how I feel about Eva. Uh, does Eva feel that way about me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not. Well, not when I uh, I haven't done her, her breakfast on time. Right, which is normally tequila. Whew, right, God, that was a long one. Yeah, sorry about that. That was a really long one. Right, let's do the quiz questions. Uh, question number one. Penny was her middle name, but what was her first name? The answer was Ruth. Uh, question two. Ugh, coffee's gone really cold. Uh, what was the colour of Penny's car? Ooh, did you guess? Did you guess this one? Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? It was powder blue. Question three: What street did Penny live on? It's Baker's Wood. Uh, on one of my many long walks, because I'm not not too far away from the, uh, their home at the moment. I went to visit Baker's Wood, and it is a very sec- secluded area. There's like big security gates up and cameras and. Do you know, and, and luckily the gate was open, so I walked in. And I had a good old walk around, and then when I was coming back, the gate was shut, and I was like, "Oh shit, I've been locked in," and I don't want to be climbing over the gate. Yeah, it's it's one of those areas where it was like, "Who are you? Why are you here? What's going on?" And I half expected, as with the uh, the Monkton family home, there was security patrolling around, and I was being watched. Uh, here there wasn't, but there were security in the area. It's it's a it's a, a semi-wealthy area. Uh, question four. What was the name of Penny's company? It's called Coverstaff Limited. Uh, it's still there today. There's, I think there's still one in uh, Kilburn and there's definitely one in Acton. Um, question five. How much money did Penny withdraw from the bank? That was £8,500, which, as mentioned, is about £16,000 today. So uh, no small chunk of change. Uh, question six, Penny and Alistair had been married for how long? That was ten years. Question seven, Penny was born where? Uh, she was born in Burnham-on-Sea uh, in the county of Somerset. Question eight, what what was Penny having renovated in her home that day? Oh, did you guess this one? Did you guess this one? Oh, I did give it away. Uh, she was having a kitchen redone. Uh, question nine. The nearest car to Penny's Jaguar in the car park was what? It was a large silver estate. Unfortunately, that's all they know about the details. It was a bit vague. 
Uh, and question 10, this is a really hard one. The man driving aggressively in the dark Sierra fled up what road? It was Cuckoo Avenue. Brilliant. That's that done. Oh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, don't forget next week we've got three lots of meander miles. Because of meander miles, don't forget there's no extra mile at the point because there's no point because a meander mile is me doing a walk and having a chat. There's no point having extra chat at the end. Also, I'm going to be moving around. So I won't be making a cup of tea. Oh, he's making a cup of tea. Oh, how exciting. Uh, or looking at coots. I'll be on the street breathing in smog and trying to dodge some dog turds. So hope you enjoyed that. Um, uh, we'll be back next week for more fun. Stay tuned. Uh, lots of love, best wishes, etc., etc. Ta-ta. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.